The Start On Demand. On demand. No free school zone lights for you. After four years of waiting for the city to accept his offer, Chuck Lewis, expert electric, he's been wanting to install for free flashing amber lights on school zone signs to let people know, hey, you're in a school zone. And after four years of the city dragging its heels, after four years of bureaucracy, Chuck Lewis has said, that's it, I'm out of here. Grocery prices continue to rise. How much of an effect is this having on you? Which products are you noticing going up? And will they ever go down? We've got our weekly Gab with Gabby. And what would be the coolest thing about living on Sesame Street? I'm Brett McGarry. Alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb, we are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Friday, September 18th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. It is Friday. That's good. But the city dragging its heels, that's bad. (laughs) And Chuck Lewis from Expert Electric said, no free signs for you, Greg. Yeah, he took them off the plate. He took them off the table. It's like you ordered the soup and then he took it away because he didn't like how you were ordering it. And who could blame him, him, Loren McNabb? Quite frankly, I'm... I'm in awe of the patience he's had over four years for this. He offered four years ago, Chuck Lewis, Expert Electrics, to put up flashing signs in our school zones, in his words, to help make them safer, to help warn people that you were in a school zone, to get people to slow down. He offered free signs to every school zone in the city that went back and forth between City Hall, people questioning, well, what would it cost them to, you know, keep them going? Or would they have to make changes to curbs? Or how would it work? They went to committee and back and forth and all the rest. And we had him on our show two weeks ago, guys, uh, September 1st, to talk about the fact that school zones were back in effect. And his hope was that the signs would be up and running uh, slowly and surely over the fall. And then yesterday, when it went back to a committee again, He finally just said, I've had enough. Like, how much more debate does there need to be? Can we not get out of our own way in this town? And I'm going to use town very purposefully for the purposes of this discussion, because it feels as though we often do not know what's best for ourselves. We perpetuate the stereotypes of backwardness and the the notion that we need to study everything. And in this instance, I think, Brett, we could argue we studied it quite literally to death because now Chuck Lewis says, what, you want to study it one more time? Forget it. I'm not going to give you anything to look at because my offer no longer stands. It's embarrassing. It is embarrassing. I know that it's easy to sit on the sidelines and say, what's the holdup? What's the problem? Shouldn't this just be a slam dunk? I know there are processes and procedures and they got to go through all that stuff and the rigmarole, whatever. But uh, I think this is embarrassing and anybody involved in, in... Holding this thing up should be ashamed of themselves. The guy wants to make our streets safer. And, of course, the reaction on social media uh, largely has been, oh, well, this is no wonder this didn't happen. They didn't want to give up. They they don't want flashing signs in these school zones because they need the revenue. 
Sure. So that's going to be the accusation, right? Yeah, there'll they'll be the conspiracy theories about that. And then, you know what's crazy to me, though? You made a point about, Brett, about, you know, the process here and that there is processes in place. But there is, it seems, only when it's convenient to them. Do you remember back in the spring we had that conversation with Public Works about the the noises they put under bridges to deter people right. from sleeping there, right? And the, the reaction from Public Works was, we're allowed to go ahead and do things if we want to test them. We have we have the autonomy to do that within Public Works, to put things things up, test them, see how it goes without going to council. And on something like this, the opposite happened. It took four years to even get here. And now now it's done. He's fed up. And so it's like it's like it's when it's convenient. It works for them. And when it isn't, they decide not to do it. I can't figure out where the process is. If on one hand, they don't need to go to council. On the other hand, they do. One of our listeners saying, is anyone surprised with the flashing light situation? The city dragged their feet the whole time. Not once thought about safety. city should be ashamed if one child is struck, hurt, or worse, killed. And a satellites could have prevented that. The city should be sued. Now, I don't know about that last part, but I do know this, that the, the idea that this is all about safety has something that's been debated since school zone photo radar enforcement came into being and I am someone who is strongly in favor of the 30 kilometer an hour zones but I don't like the predatory nature of the way they often set up their photo radar I've said this multitude of times I'm going to say it one more time if you say this is all about safety use all the different technology, the different signage at your disposal. And then if people are still speeding through school zones, triple the fine for all I care. We have a text from Elaine who says, you guys have got to interview him. (laughs) Got to. He's been shanked. Well, guess what, Elaine? Chuck Lewis from Expert Electric will join us at 7.07 to give us the details on, on what's going on here. And of course, you can email Mackling at cjob.com, McNabb at cjob.com, or Brett at cjob.com. And already the texts are coming in. How much money would the city lose from tickets? The city never wanted those warning lights. Don't you know they can't get the fine money if he puts up the signs? Well, at least not as much money. Anyway, so of course we'll have much to discuss on this throughout the morning here on 680 CJOB. Greg, why are we talking about Sesame Street? Oh, this hashtag was trending on Twitter yesterday. And it was, if I lived on Sesame Street, and who amongst us didn't imagine living on Sesame Street? I always wanted to live with Gordon and Susan. Not that I didn't have excellent parents when I was younger, but I thought they would have been the coolest mom and dad. Yeah. And to live on Sesame Street and to... You know, be able to wander down to Mr. Hooper's store. And <laughs> you actually get your stuff fixed. Luis would fix your toaster or your radio, whatever was broken. It's just simpler times, a simpler, happy place. So I wanted to take a walk down memory lane by walking down Sesame Street and asking everybody if you if you lived on Sesame Street, what would, what would your favorite thing, what would be the coolest thing about living on Sesame Street? So Jeff Forte is here. Jeff Braun is here. Kelly Moore is here. Jeff Braun, co-host of the Couch Potatoes. What say you? Uh, I think the best part would be just how simple and easy life would be. I mean, you'd be walking down the street and you come across a group of people and say, hey, what's going on, you guys? And they'd just be like, oh, we're learning about sharing. And I was like, oh, what'd you learn? 
Sharing is good. I was like, yeah, it is. See you later. <laughs> Meet the next group of people and be like, hey, what are you guys doing? Oh, we're learning to count to seven. I was like, ah, I got that down. I'll see you guys later. So just <laughs> low stress environment. It'd be awesome. That's great. That is great. <laughs> Kelly Moore, what about you? Oh, hanging with Big Bird. I mean, everybody, everybody loves Big Bird, and who knows? Maybe it would be uh, it would be Doug Brown in that suit, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, I, I just I always thought Big Bird was one of the cooler characters on the street. Uh, but you know, curiosity would certainly get the better of me. I'd like to climb into that garbage can and find out what really is going on in uh, that's what Oscar I was going to say too. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'd, I would love to hang. You can hang out with Big Bird, and I'd hang out with this guy. Me want cookie. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, when you've got a soundtrack like this in the background. Twelve. You'd always be grooving to something. Yeah. Just play this on repeat. Plus, that's a pretty cool pinball area. Like, I know it was a cartoon, but if that was actually a part of Sesame Street... How big would that pinball machine actually have been? Like, four or five stories tall? Yeah. yeah like, you could probably ride a bike on it or something. <laughs> I think you know? you're right. Um, what about you, Forte? Well, I, I would like to know, or I'd be excited to learn, the recipe for Cookie Monster's cookies. Oh, yeah, because he did bake his own cookies sometimes, right? I believe so. There's definitely a commercial where he was baking cookies. Uh, or he was baking something. Yeah. What? What? You just want the recipe? I just want the recipe. <laughs> he enjoys them so much. They must be pretty darn good. <laughs> Loren, what about you? Well, Snuffleupagus. I loved Mr. Snuffleupagus. And I think he lived in the cave with his with his family on, like, Snuffle Street or Snuffle Cove or Snuffleupalapalai. Oh, and uh, Yeah, and I think he was so lovable and cuddly. You'd always be warm because it would be like sleep, just sleeping with, like, a family of carpets. And so I enjoyed that. Plus, I think his – wasn't his one of his favorite foods spaghetti? Oh, and, that uh, kind of rings a bell. And I think uh, that would be enjoyable several nights a week. So that would be my call. How the, the poor Snuffleupagus. Nobody believed that he existed. And Big Bird always got accused of having the imaginary friend. And there's nothing wrong with having an imaginary friend. Nobody shamed Big Bird in, in that sense. But yeah, Big Bird just could not get Snuffleupagus to stick around. He did finally, though, right? He did yes. finally, yes. Yeah, because yes. I think for my childhood, Snuffleupagus would always disappear around the corner just when everybody came in. Mm -hmm. And no one would believe Big Bird. And I thought, there is some serious commitment like in looking back on that, that was a lot of commitment on the Sesame Street writers to drag that out. Sure, Years. as long as yeah, yeah, because um, I guess they couldn't do it forever. Another guy I would like to hang out with. Oh. So I saw in your profile Go that away. you like to cook. <laughs> oh, I love Stupid it. YouTube ad. I'm just pulling here. <laughs> hang on a second here. Oh yes, oh. yes. yes. Uh, one, oh, two, greetings, one. it is I, the Count, and it's time to answer that fascinating question. What is the Sesame Street number of the day? Ah, uh, ah. Uh. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> oh. Guys, we should actually do that. We should have a number of the day or a letter of the day and then just see where that takes us. Oh, I like your idea. The, this, the Count was, he's so, he's so good. I am the count because I love to count things. To count. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Sesame Street truly was great. Um, now, would you, would you try to, Loren, would you try to befriend Oscar the Grouch? Oh, yeah. 
you and you know the thing is he'd be like that friend where you're like i just i just know i can get him to like me there's got to be a way to get him to like me it would just be it would just be like a challenge and then he'd be like please oscar can i just get in that can i want to see what's down there and then didn't he have the friend like the slimy slimy the the worm yeah. The worm. Uh, yeah, slimy the I think worm. Slimy would be my in. Yeah, I think uh, Oscar would tell you to scram. That's what I think. <laughs> what happened to Bert and Ernie? Geez, they've been kind of left out of the equation here. Yeah, that's Bert right, Ernie Bert and Ernie. Awesome. Yeah, they were cool. They were cool. But uh, Loren, you already kind of have your own Oscar the Grouch. Uh, I always enjoyed watching you interact with uh, our co co worker Tristan Field Jones. <laughs> wait, wait. So he's my Grouch. Yes, I would think Perfect. so. Perfect. That's great. Well, we know he lives in a garbage can. <laughs> and you're right. And I do try so hard to get Tristan to laugh or talk with me, and he has not. He does. He is not interested. Yeah. Like at all. He he secretly loves it. I think. And, hi, Tristan. What do you want, Loren? <laughs> just saying hello. No, you're not. No, I'm just trying to talk to you. No, you're not. What do you need? I'm just saying hi. I don't believe you. <laughs> That's basically how it goes with him. Mackling, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Ladybugs came to the ladybugs picnic. <laughs> one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, and they all played games at the ladybugs picnic. Who sent this in, Greg? Oh boy, we've had so. Oh, it was Chris that said, "Can you guys play this?" Uh, no, it wasn't Chris. <laughs> we've had so many text messages already. I'm scrolling through trying to find who asked us to play this. Oh well, there is a Chris Jamison who says, "Morning, Brad, love the ladybugs picnic." Okay, so it was Chris. Okay, very good. And then, uh, oh, I'm gonna play some of this audio for you later on from. Two of the most beloved characters that get forgotten sometimes. Yep. The two Martians. Oh, nice. And their adventures in discovering Earth. So, so good. (laughs) Book, 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 Earth, book. (laughs) Yep, 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 yep. (laughs) Let's play that in our next segment. So the question is, what would be the coolest thing about living on Sesame Street? Text us 204-780-6868. And at 9.15, we will pick one of those texts and hand out a large two-topping Santa Lucia pizza. You just heard his voice in Global News at 7 o'clock. You're going to hear it again. A Winnipeg man who offered four years ago, not four days ago, not four weeks, not four months, four years ago to donate, install, and maintain flashing amber lights across the city has rescinded his offer. So he is Chuck Lewis. He's the owner of Expert Election. And he says he basically pulled the plug on this idea after it was met with additional delays at City Hall yesterday. So as we know, all know by now, he's been offering to install a pair of the solar-powered flashing lights in every Winnipeg school zone and have his crews take care of maintenance for the first five years. Here's how long this has been going on. He made the offer four years ago, but it really only got rolling after Councillor Kevin Klein with Charleswood Tuxedo Westwood Ward stepped in to help Lewis navigate what we can agree are sometimes choppy and nasty waters, sometimes, at City Hall. Here's Councillor Klein moments after the meeting yesterday. And today was supposed to be the day that that would get voted and move on and and the lights would start being implemented. That didn't happen. Uh, I don't want to go into a lot of detail why it didn't happen. I do want to tell you what just happened moments ago. uh, I was on the phone as part of a press conference for Mr. Lewis, the uh, resident uh, who was so generous and offered us those 
flashing amber lights, and he just said enough is enough, and he's rescinding. He's rescinding his gift. What a shame. What a shame. But I don't blame him. I think his cost has increased on those lights. He's been trying for four years, and over the four years, his cost has increased by more than 25% already. I think a lot of us are feeling embarrassed this morning. Chuck Lewis joining us now on The Start. And Chuck, thank you for this. Thanks for your initiative altogether. But have to ask you plain and simply, how are you feeling with a, a night's sleep behind you if you, in fact, got any sleep last night? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, you're a little obviously a little disappointed, but uh, there's not much you can do, really. It's up to the city to either go forward with it or not. Well, that's been, you know, the sticking point moving forward with this, Chuck. And so in our global news story, you were quoted as saying you might have been prepared to work with a new city administration down the road. The mayor, in his statement to us, says that he has been supportive of accepting this donation and wants to discuss this matter with council and colleagues more on Monday after the EPC meeting. Did you feel you were getting that support from mayor and council for this project? That's funny because I haven't had anybody from the city reach out and talk to me at all. It's been just basically uh, just from the meeting and that was it. So they could, after the decision to like put it through more, like go to another meeting and more testing and all this, I just thought like, you know what I mean? We've already went through all this. We had an agreement signed in spring that said that we were going to be allowed to roll them out in the fall. And then all of a sudden it all got changed. And I'm thinking, wow, how does that get changed? Because that's the idea of signing an agreement, right? So, sorry, I want to be clear. Nobody after yesterday or in the lead up to this new contract that they wanted to sign, nobody was in touch with you? Not a person. No. Very disappointing on the city's part. What's the reaction from the community been? Uh, you know, like everybody's supportive of having the lights come out. It really, like, it's like a no-brainer. In the, like, every, why aren't they being put out? Because let's face it, it's going to save children's lives. We all know that. So what's the holdup? What's the big... Uh, there's just so much call for it right well i'm looking at a barrage of text messages we got them right from the moment we went on the air just over an hour ago chuck and, and all of them uh in support of this initiative of this project uh, many people asking what the heck's wrong with our city people feeling embarrassed feeling as though there's a another motive here and that's the the lack but of eventual revenue from the photo radar cameras that are currently set up in some of the school zones. And I, I pulled this one off of Twitter last night. It really stuck out for me. And it comes from Mason DRM on Twitter. So the offer of safety amber lights at a private citizen's own expense has been rescinded after the latest stall tactics by Bowman and his puppets. I will say this to you, Mayor Bowman, the safety of our children is not expensive it is priceless shame on you and you don't have to react to that uh, direct uh, tweet or that direct statement in that tweet chuck but what's your overall sentiment what's your overall feeling about this slap in the face that you've received from city council like i understand the whole um due process i get it but four years later they should have been able to get it together you know that's a long time to be to be waiting and trying to put together a program and i would hope that our city councillors and whatnot would not be putting profit before the children's safety. Because if that is the case, then, you know, we're really in a bad time, right? Is there anything that will bring you back to the table, Chuck? Well, like we had a good agreement before and I don't know why they rescinded on it. I don't know what happened there. And then like, I think they just wanted more control and then they wanted me to uh, put up more uh, lights per school zone. But the original deal was always two per school and if they wanted to put six eight or ten per school that would be up to the city itself right so um 
like, you know, we can go back to negotiating again. Like I said, we had a good deal and then they rescinded on it. So I'm, I just thought, okay, enough's enough. I, I can only put so much time and effort into this for it's just too much, right? How do you go from accepting, struggling to accept for four years a donation of two flashing amber lights per school zone to now asking if maybe we should have six, eight, ten, whatever the number might end up being? It is mind-boggling. It's baffling. It is... Well, it's laugh-inducing is what it is for me, Chuck. Well, it's not cost-effective, right? Let's face it. Like, you know what I mean? The lights themselves are about $7,000 a set. So you start putting eight at a school, like who, you know, let's be on this planet, right? At some point, you're trying to, even if we just roll them out two per school, later down the road when the city has money, when they actually can afford it, they can add more lights. But for now, why not stick to the basics? It's still going to do the job. It's still going to save kids' lives. It's it's all about that. It's not about... uh, you know what I mean? Like we got to start somewhere. Chuck Lewis, expert electric, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Chuck, thank you so much for joining us. I know you already talked to Richard and Julie yesterday, so we appreciate you coming back to give us uh, some fresh perspective this morning. And thanks for thanks for the offer and for your patience over the last four years. Uh, I don't think anybody can blame you for, for pulling the plug on this because uh, the red tape... As long as I've worked for CJOB, I've worked here for 16 years. Remember that red tape commission they put together? Yeah, Yeah, they're still studying it? Probably. So, Chuck, thank you so much for the time. Yeah, take care, guys. Make Friday a good day. All right. Look at that. Still closes with an optimistic statement. Honestly, that's, you know, that's the attitude you want. Maybe he should live on Sesame Street, too, because he's so positive. That's nice. It's nice to hear after all that, my God. Rock solid citizen right there. We've been asking you this morning, what would be the coolest thing about living on Sesame Street? Greg, just very quickly set this up. Oh, if you watch Sesame Street, you remember the two Martians that used to have their adventures. <laughs> One of our listeners sent us a link to this clip, and it's so good. He's <laughs> staring at a telephone, by the way. <laughs> Scares the heck out of him. Sounds like Clay Young. They wondered at first if it was a cow, then they wondered if it was a cat, if it was a chicken. No. Do you ever just wonder if the writers at Sesame Street just gave, you know, little something something before they did a sketch. Oh, there's no question. (laughs) In my mind. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And one of the things that might give you rage is the rising price of food. We were warned early on in this pandemic that one of the effects of more people at home and fewer people going out was going to be, Loren, a rise in food prices. Yeah, and I think we're seeing that in so many places wherever we shop, right? Uh, One of the great things about summer is that you uh, have all those veggies coming up and you think that they're going to be cheap because you might have summer gardens or people growing more. But listen, the stats show us that's not the case. June, ground beef was up a dollar per kilogram, steak up four dollars per kilogram, flour, orange, carrots and canned goods all way up at the peak of or what we considered the peak of this pandemic. And our 
question this morning is, are they going to stay that way or have they even come down at all? Our Diana Foxel has been digging into this for us and joins us now. Good morning, Diana. Good morning. So what have you found out? Yeah, so if you've had a look at your grocery bill over the last couple months and thought it has been a bit higher than normal, you're not going crazy. Food prices have been going up since the start of 2020, with a bit of a spike at the start of the pandemic. Now, they have gone down a bit, but the average grocery bill is still on track to be about 3 to 4% higher by the end of the year compared to when it started 2020. So Sylvain Charlebois, director of Dalhousie University's Agri-Food Analytics Lab, says that is a bigger jump than normal. I mean, right now, what's more? More expensive than January are onions, oranges, uh, carrots, like produce, lots of lots of vegetables that are more expensive. Beef uh, is up about, depending on the cuts, on average six to eight percent, which is what we predicted. Uh, chicken is up maybe one uh, percent. Uh, it's pretty flat. Pork is. Uh, was actually up, but now it's down again. I can tell you this, Diana, I was on Twitter the other day, that might surprise you, and I read uh, a tweet from James Crampton, he goes, I just went to the grocery store and spent $150 on, quite frankly, not a lot of stuff. And that was about an hour after I'd been at a grocery store and spent $85 and thought exactly the same thing. Is this just the groceries? Is it just the food? Or is it other things that we buy at grocery stores taking a hit and seeing prices rise? Yeah, so it's definitely the food, but I know certainly non-food products you might be buying at grocery stores have also gone up in price. Now, Charlebois says part of the reason you might be noticing a more expensive grocery bill and feeling like you're not actually buying all that much stuff is because other things outside the grocery store haven't really gone up at the same rate. So the general general inflation rate is pretty low right now. So when the food inflation rate rises, you are going to see that more. It's kind of a decoupling of the two. So there are several reasons for why why certain things in grocery stores are pricier these days, including, of course, the added costs that grocery stores have to front for things like PPE for their staff and sanitizer for all their customers, as well as some supply issues. And Charlebois says other events happening during the pandemic are also making some things more costly. The California wildfires are probably going to make things a little bit more complicated for food importers for the fall and winter. And so... It doesn't mean we'll run out. We'll run out of produce. It's just it's if you actually are to buy products from from elsewhere than California, importers are likely to have to pay a little bit more for uh, for alternatives. And don't expect things to get back to normal just yet. While food fair owner Munther Zeed says local fruit and veggies hitting the market over the summer did slightly reduce those prices in his stores, there are still some items that are going for more than they usually would at this time of the year. Things like cucumbers, lettuce, tomatoes. Uh, Charlebois also says you can expect some more turbulence in the grocery industry as the pandemic continues over the coming months. This is not over. We're going to see the food industry... Uh, readjusting over and over again when it comes to choices, the amount of brands uh, uh, offered to to consumers. We are expecting fewer SKUs, so fewer products on shelves. Uh, that is the reality because, uh, and and we are expecting more private labels as well. Uh, so we, so for example, Sobe's uh, has just released a, a new private label called Panache. Uh, they'll be focusing, they'll be pushing their complements brand, 
so that will continue uh, absolutely. Uh, and uh, you are, we are expecting more grocers to try to generate more sales online too. One thing we saw, Diana, back in the spring uh, is shelves were empty because of all the toilet paper hoarding. And so that, of course, impacted prices as people were, that was flying off the shelves. Any change there on that front? Yeah. So as you mentioned in early spring, it wasn't just hard to find paper towels and toilet paper. They also started to go up in price dramatically. That has kind of calmed down a bit. Uh, Munther Zeed says they are now seeing prices for those items a little closer to normal to where they were to start the year um, as they kind of get they start now getting some specials that are getting those prices down to what would be a more normal range. Global's Diana Foxall joining us live on 680 CJOB. Diana, thank you so much. You're so very welcome. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Our Gab with Gabby. Normally at 9.05 on Fridays, we're going to going to get sort of a special extended edition. She's going to join us at 9.35. This was my mistake. It's not, don't. It's a regular feature, and I forgot. I got starstruck a little bit. DJ Lalama from the Montreal Alouettes, Manitoba Bison stand, standout. He and Andrew Harris have a great project that you may have been hearing about this week. He was able to join us at 9.05, and I... I panicked and I said, "Yes, no, you got to come t- see us." No, you got to, you got to. Don't worry about it. You got to take it there. <sighs> and now we'll ease ourselves into the weekend with some lighthearted banter All right. with one of our favorite people, Gabrielle Marchand right. from Global News Morning at nine thirty-five. And heads up that we still have that Santa Lucia pizza up for grabs. So text us at two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. What would be the coolest thing about living on Sesame Street? And then we'll pick a winner and announce that just after 9.15. And I think that's going to make its way into this conversation here. We're going to run a little bit of a gauntlet of various topics, including the question of the day brought to you by Credit Aid, helping Manitobans get out of debt since 1992. Visit creditaid.ca, call 204-987-6890. And the question is, grocery prices are on the rise. For which products are you noticing the increase most? 78% so far say beef and chicken, 22% say produce, no votes yet for dairy products, no votes for other. And I know that uh, for me, I can't remember what jugs of chocolate milk used to cost, but they're like seven bucks almost to seven get a bucks four liter. Now. Yeah. Um, you need to dilute that stuff. Yeah, because I, I, I use the chocolate milk, Loren, for the muscle shake. Like you pick it up, you use it as in weights, or you add it to your muscle shake. <laughs> they, I could. Like it's. I was thinking of a routine called now for the muscle shake, and then you grab two four liter cans of milk and you <laughs> shake your muscles. No, you no, got- I know you add it to your protein sheet. Milk is up. Eggs are even up a few cents. I find meat is the most expensive thing, but maybe it's because we consume more of that in our house. But every every trip to the grocery store is definitely costing more and as always when we have these conversations about what's going up you ask the question well is your wage going up with that (laughs) and i think for most people the answer is no it's not we had a listener just a few minutes ago share with us her pay stub from 2008 to now and her hourly wage has changed about three and a half bucks over 12 years and so that certainly isn't keeping up with any rate of inflation particularly the inflation we're seeing on food prices now i don't know if it was sylvain charlebois that planted the seed on this or not but brett and i were discussing just about a half hour ago the idea that even though food prices are clearly going up, we might be noticing them more in the grocery store because we're going out 
to restaurants less. Yeah. So we're purchasing more groceries. And so we're maybe hyper aware to the fact that things are costing more and that they've gone up and, and the prices have shifted over the last several months. And then I said to Brett, and I don't know, Loren, how much drive through you've been doing now versus, you know, pre-pandemic, but... I've noticed that a lot of prices have gone up at the drive-thru as well. Not not that I ever go through the drive-thru. I should say I'm hearing that's the word on the street. Well, uh, I feel like we have a lot of A&W listeners in our audience because at least five this morning or at least over the last few hours have texted about their combos going up. And another talking about another drive-thru they go to. So I, it, I don't know if that's the beef factor there, Greg, mm-hmm, or what you're be. getting. Yeah, I, I don't know. Brett, do you have any theories on that one? Uh, well, I know that uh, the last time I went to McDonald's and got a, just a quarter pounder, oh, I usually get the, sorry, the double quarter pounder with cheese combo. I think it was like 15 bucks, and I don't remember, you know, It's I, I don't go through the drive-thru that often in a year, so I don't make a note, but I remember the last time, I guess it was a couple of months ago, and when I thought, $15, that seems like a lot. And I, I know when I was in... When I was a teenager, they were five bucks. That was 25 years ago. Um, but Munther Zed, for example, texting us just now at 204 780 saying which store you shop at matters, especially for meat and sure. produce. I know that some people will go, like my dad used to go to Superstore for this and Walmart for that and Costco for, for this, whereas I just tend to go to, to one place, uh, and that's... Uh, Whatever, I'll just pay what, unless the price is exorbitant. Like if I know I'm going to save like $3 on an item, if I just go to another store, fine. But otherwise I'll just pay whatever it is. Well, it might depend what you're getting. Like if you see a sale that's for and you eat a ton of soup, for example. I saw a friend the other day get up early to go to the store to get a great deal on soup because, you know, three or four kids in the house and that made a big difference on their monthly bill if she could save 20 or 30 bucks on a hundred cans of soup. So I get kind of that specialty shopping and I, and I get people kind of going around for different things, but most of us maybe don't have the time for that or, or maybe it's just patience. And Ike texting in right now saying, Hey, don't blame the farmers for the prices going up. Our prices have actually gone down. And, and Greg, you commented on that earlier. We know that it's not farmers that are seeing more dollars. Somewhere along the line in the supply chain when it makes its way to the grocery store, potentially because stores are just paying more costs for PPE and sanitizer and staff, or maybe maybe stores and chains are trying to make up for losses they may have seen earlier in the pandemic. The costs have gone up. No, we know farmers usually aren't the ones seeing the hike. Uh, you know, if your beef is going up, that doesn't mean the farmer is getting paid more. You no, know, and, and grocers have seen uh, a, a, a wide shift. Over the pandemic, uh, in terms of sales, they've seen their sales go up. They've had record profits. They've had some bad losses as well over the last six months. And so, you know, who knows what the methodology is here, but it's interesting that you mention the idea, Brett, of knowing exactly what things cost at different stores. Uh, I know exactly where to get the cheapest milk because uh, that's one product that we go through a lot of. I make a special stop at Shoppers Drug Mart for my milk. They have a very good price for four-liter jugs of milk. It's under $5, typically. And they What's even, their chocolate milk cost? I don't know. I, <laughs> sorry. I, shake, I don't, shake, shake. I don't buy the chocolate milk except for on special occasions, but you know, to get it up over 6 bucks for a four-liter jug is not uncommon. And then uh, there's Cub Bakery on Aaron. I will stop and I'll do sort of a bed bread run, something that I never did before. So either I'm becoming more like my father as days go by, or I'm just being a little bit more conscientious. I've always been willing to get on my hands and knees to 
find the best deal on the cheese. You know when they do mm-hmm. all these packages are eleven dollars or six dollars. I will always get on my hands and knees and dig through. I have to find the biggest one to get the best <laughs> deal. But That's then, mandatory. But you, then other stuff I don't even pay attention to. Well, then you got to watch the packaging. I've also noticed, and this was this was because I was buying some chips the other day. So oh, surprise, surprise. I know but, where you know, you're going with this. But a bag of chips, to me, I feel like in the last little while has gotten smaller again. And we know we saw that with, uh, I think it was bacon a few years ago. Yep. And there's other meats that- Hot like, dog being, wieners. Uh, right. Yes. They got repackaged to be smaller in size, but pretty much the same price. And so now I've noticed, and I'm, I'm going to go out and pay more attention to this. What's, what are you noticing that's getting smaller, but you're paying the same price? What the heck? Why are they only selling and seven on eggs? <laughs> seven eggs in a carton. What's going on here? <laughs> and I want to read this this text from Jeff, and I'm going to try to channel uh, what I what I what I am perceiving as anger or irritation. Jeff says, "You guys are missing the boat on why these prices are going up. Trucks are moving, gas is low. What's the deal? Tell the story." Yeah, Jeff, did I do you justice? <laughs> Should I just wait till he weighs in? We'll just wait in radio silence. Jeff is but, always you know, angry about the uh, gas prices. But true. Okay, so he makes a good point, right? Like we did have the we did we did see all these things go up in June. June was when most things were at their most expensive in terms of at least those pit- ticketed go- grocery items, your meats and your veggies and all the rest. But the prices haven't come back down to pre-pandemic levels. But but stores are incurring other kinds of costs. That was Charlebois's point. Stores are incurring other costs like PPE and sanitizer and security have been added to some stores and masks are being worn and those plastic shields have gone up. So there's been extra costs for a lot of the stores and for people moving the goods because they might have had to have the same things for PPE. So there's that. He also mentioned fires. The fires in California, as we go forward, we know every time there's like, you know, a flood or a drought or wherever in a state that's produces a lot of produce, then we see our prices go up because the supply is down. So there are factors weighing in. At a basic level, I hear what he's saying. You're seeing the trucks moving, you're seeing gas prices are low. So you do ask that question. I don't know if you've satisfied him yet. What what happened, Greg? Sorry, I thought I had my microphone off. Uh, Cheese slices... Uh, one of our listeners says we're twenty-four slices in a in a package now. Twenty-two. Oh, is interesting. The magic number. We got two people texting us on that. Scott weighed in, and then uh, one of our listeners uh, who uh, we don't have their name yet. And also, somebody uh, on the comment of the McDonald's, somebody said they went to McDonald's and got three chicken sandwiches, and it was over 18 bucks. Says, I should have just called Joey Polo or Earl's Maine or something and ordered a meal for 16 bucks. I said that to somebody just the other day, the notion that the the price creep with the, with the quote-unquote, the fast food, and it's getting to the point now where maybe you consider a sit-down meal in a restaurant versus the drive-through or going for quote-unquote fast food because the gap seems to be shrinking yeah. in terms of the the perceived value that you're getting from that meal. And they still, you know, all due respect to people out there that do this for a living, but you know what? They're slapping those burgers together still and there's ketchup on the bun, outside the bun, and the, the, the care that's taken, it's not a 99-cent cheeseburger anymore at McDonald's. 
It's three bucks. Yeah, like that, that's that's why you go to fast food, right? You're like, okay, I'm hungry, but I don't want to spend a ton of money, and I want this done fast. So I know this isn't as good if I like if you go to any local burger stand, like if you go to the White Top in the North End, you know mm-hmm. you're going to get one of the best burgers you're ever going to have. And presentation's part of the deal. Yeah, so if you go to any local burger place, you know you're getting top quality for the same price, basically. Now, yep, I agree. Uh, so thank you for sharing that. And uh, we got to get out here, but I just want to quit read this. <laughs> this diabolical text message on Sesame Street from this listener who says the best part of Sesame Street, the fried big bird supply. <laughs> I can't speak. <laughs> Craig is just beside himself. He can't speak. <laughs> oh my goodness gracious. Where would you find a deep fryer that big? I don't know. Or I'm just picturing Big Bird on a rotisserie. Oh, like man. Kramer. <laughs> yes. You're just basting him. <laughs> COVID-19 pandemic has pretty much halted football in Canada in its cleats. But a couple of CFL players have decided to try a reverse. Some nice football writing here, Greg. (laughs) On the dreaded virus by starting a league in their hometown of Winnipeg. So Blue Bombers running back Andrew Harris and Montreal Alouettes linebacker DJ Lalama have launched the pro prep flag football league which is scheduled to begin play on september 30th it's going to feature a 10 game schedule which will run wednesday and friday nights at dakota collegiate's murray field greg i can't uh, claim that writing that is the writing of one kelly moore i have to come clean on that one. Oh, you stole it from him eh? yeah you're I a plagiarist it. yeah that's right right <laughs> off our global news website <laughs> to find out what the league is all about and who can participate we are joined now by co-founder dj lalama good morning sir how are you I'm doing well, guys. How are you? We're doing very well. And uh, hey, congrats to you and Andrew Harris on coming together on this. Obviously, with no CFL football this year, no CIS football, and here in Winnipeg, there's not going to be high school football either this fall. But football remains on the radar for so many of us, DJ, including the hundreds of young people who play the sport in Manitoba. Just tell us a little bit about football in Manitoba from your observations and how healthy uh, participation is in the sport and the level at which it's being played. Yeah, I think football's never been uh, never been better in this province. You know, there, there's the right people, you know, leading the helm. You know, Jeffrey Bannon's done a great job at the Winnipeg High School football level and, um, you know, Bill Johnson at Football Manitoba. And, you know, that carries over. Um, you know, the coaching has never been better. Uh, the player enrollment has never been better. Um, the extracurricular or, or you know, um, extra work that the players are putting in to, to get noticed and, and to take their skill level to the next level, um, that's never been better. So, you know, obviously no one could have planned for a pandemic, but uh, knowing that Manitoba and, and football within this province has made such great strides, you know, over the last few years for sure. Um, Andrew and I, you know, we pulled all of our resources and um, had a great support system in order to, you know, kind of put this together and, and make sure that football is continuing to move forward and, and that these kids have a chance to play and, and, you know, continue to showcase their skills. Because I think the kids want it, DJ. You know, the kids are asking for it. Our neighbor's child came home the other day from school and ran out with his football and said they were going to try a flag football game in the neighboring field. They're looking for something to do, and so they might be really interested in this. Who can participate in your league? For sure, yeah. Um, we have two different divisions. So we have a high school division, which, which we call varsity, 
Um, so as long as you're in the high school, uh, you'd be allowed to play in that sense. And, and then we have a pro division consisting of junior football players, college football players, past college players, um, you know, some top tier men's leagues uh, or men's league teams from, from other leagues uh, here in the city have asked if they could join. Um, so it's going to be ultra competitive. And, you know, once they get to the field, uh, we have a very unique and, and very professional, almost TSN-like um, kind of in-game feel to it. So um, I think kids, you know, regardless of age, whether they fall in that varsity or, or pro division, they're going to have a lot of a lot of cool aspects to look forward to. And um, ultimately, you know, two words come to mind, and it's competition and fun. And if we can provide that opportunity and a platform for them to do that, Andrew and I are, are very happy. DJ, I, I never played football at any competitive level. So whenever I did play football just in the schoolyard or whatever, typically it was touch football. But every so often we would throw it down and say, let's play tackle football. And there was just something satisfying about that, uh, in spite of the fact that it was completely dangerous because we had no equipment on. But how much of the tackle game can you replicate in flag? For sure. I mean, obviously, you know, contact you know, to, to that degree um, will not be replicated, right? That You can't do that. But um, regarding the way that we're changing the rule book, um, you know, in terms of how offenses and defenses can run, you know, how the quarterback play will, will change in our league versus others, um, how the defense can send pressure or blitz, um, you know, compared to other leagues. Um, again, we're, we're a league that's, you know, basically created by players for players. And, you know, Andrew's got a wealth of, of experience, obviously, at different levels. Um, I'd like to say I do as well. And we're kind of pooling those, you know, those experiences. And, and we've reached out to, you know, Des Cotillier, for example, quarterback of the U of M Bison's asking, hey, you know, if you wanted to play in this league, like, what do you need from a quarterback standpoint? You know, we've reached out to, to different defensive minds in the city as well. And we're really just trying to collaborate with, with really bright football minds and, um, do it for the players, right? So they so they can put their film out there. They can um, create a new highlight tape, and at least it's something. Is it tackle football? Absolutely not. Are there a couple nuances that can't be re- replicated? Absolutely, but we can do our best to make sure that uh, it's competitive, it's fun, and it's realistic. Brett, what you were playing was what Matt Dunnigan would have called "kill the guy with the football," <laughs> and, and so you know, there are lots of different ways to play football, and that's one of the magical things about the game. I, I loved playing football as a kid on the street. I think in grade nine, that's all we did in phys ed class: spring, summer, or winter. I guess we weren't at school in the summertime, but we were always, always, always playing football. DJ, I just want to ask you this. When did it become apparent to you that perhaps you could turn football into a profession? And who do you credit to uh, either giving you the nudge or the validation that that was a genuine option for you? A good question. Um, you're going to age me here a little bit. But um, <laughs> that back in high school, I mean, you never really know, right? Like you said, you're, you're kind of just chasing the football and, and you're enjoying it. And, and you love being around the guys and in the locker room. And it's part of that high school experience. And St. Paul's, you know, for me, did a great job at that. You know, uh, Coach Stacey Dannard and Coach Jason Park, um, two guys that are still there. Um, but they were, you know, had a big hand in terms of turning this as a, you know, just a passion into something that, you know, I took a lot more serious and, it opened up, uh, you know, obviously options at the college level. And, um, you know, Coach Doby and, and Stan Pierre, who are also still there, um, you know, they did a great job in terms of channeling, again, just passion and, I guess, some athleticism into, you know, something more. And, you know, as your university career continues to, to grow and, and you mature and you get more opportunities, um, I'd like to say that I was able to seize most of them. You know, maybe I left some stuff out there, but for the most part, um, I was able to kind of maximize my potential and, 
without those four individuals for sure. And then, of course, you know, your teammates and strength coaches and um, everyone else that, you know, has a hand in that um, kind of journey. Um, you know, I wouldn't be here without it. And, you know, it's Winnipeg special like that. You know, it's, it's, it's a great community. Um, there's a lot of friendly people and a lot of quality people that are willing to give you that expertise if you, if you kind of reach out and ask for it. So um, kudos to those four and, and many others. And, um, you know, that's kind of where we are today, though, right, is Andrew and I now feel with, with our platform and, again, coming from the city and, and really, you know, having tons of different Winnipeggers help us. Uh, now it's our time to kind of give back in a time of need and, and make sure that kids can, can put a smile on their face twice a week and, and have fun and compete. Well, we couldn't end it better than on that note with the fact that you're now giving back and giving other kids a place to maybe move forward with their dreams. How can we? How can they get involved? If people want to sign up, what should they do, DJ? For sure. So so right now you can visit our website at www.djlalama.com slash proprep. Um, all the information is there. Uh, we're also sending out um, kind of one-page info, info sheets to all the coaches here in the high school. Um, there's team registration options. There's player registration options. Um, waiver forms, everything can be found on the website. So if they're interested, feel free, or they can contact us at any social media handle. And our social media is at Pro Prep Academy um, on all uh, social platforms, and uh, we'll be able to answer any questions there as well. And before we let you go, you made the comment rather sheepishly, well, you're going to age me a little bit here. What are you, 27? <laughs> yeah, I'm 27. But <laughs> yeah, okay. I'm, for, I'm 42, Lorenz 42, Greg, you're what, 49? Yeah, 51, and Coach Doby was still coaching high school football when I played football, and I think I might have even played one game against them once upon a time. That's a joke, I didn't, but uh, you know where I'm coming from. DJ, thanks for this, and I, I think you really encapsulated nicely the, the whole football community in Winnipeg with all the former bombers that have stuck around over the years. The last 40 years have been really incredible in terms of Manitoba becoming a powerhouse in terms of football and supplying players to the Canadian Football League and of course to the NFL as well in a couple circumstances. Thanks for what you're doing and uh, we appreciate your positivity and your time with us today. Absolutely. Always a pleasure to be on. And uh, there's, there's quality four people across the phone here. So uh, anytime, it's awesome to touch base, guys. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this morning. We have a Santa Lucia pizza up for grabs. We were asking you, what would be the coolest thing about living on Sesame Street? And as always, you gave us a very difficult task because you always send us such great texts. How do you pick just one? So we've picked a runner-up here from Chris and then the winning text. So, Greg, why don't you read the runner-up? Chris says, hey, Greg and Brett, as kids, we would always sing that song. The song is The Ladybug's Picnic. At recess, we would try and get 12 kids together to try and have a picnic. Usually ended up in a wrestling match. (laughs) Forgot the listener that mentioned the two aliens. That is awesome also. And it was Chris that pointed out the Ladybug's Picnic to us. And we had fun playing that for you earlier. We did. But uh, this one, I don't know. It just painted such a nice picture. And with kids recently going back to school, I don't know. It just seemed to tie in. And uh, Loren, can you read Jen's text? The winning text. And I apologize to Jen. I'm going to say your last name. Jen Makovec is how I'm pronouncing it, but I'm sure I've got that wrong. Jen texts, having my math class with the count so that every time she would, this would be her Sesame Street dream, to have her math class with the count so that every time I shared a significant answer, they would be the thunderstorm and lightning. I think my students would really like that. So if she said, nine plus nine, 
And then we all yell out, 18! And then thunder and lightning. Thunder and lightning. Yeah, that's a great image. So, Jen, congratulations. You win the pizza. Jeff Courier uh, sent out an email to the mayor's office asking for a response on the Amber Lights situation. Mm -hmm. And, um, well, Loren, do you have that in front of you there, the response? I do, yeah. Yeah, so, of course, we've been talking uh, much of yesterday and throughout this morning about Chuck Lewis, Mr. Electric, electric uh, signs guy, has offered four years ago to put up signs in all our school zones. There was a ton of back and forth at City Hall. We had spoken to him, what, guys, September 1st, to figure out where when these signs would finally be going up, and he had hoped within weeks and then yesterday got to a city hall committee and was given another contract, so to speak, that asked him to add more signs and to change the kind of way he thought that was all going to work. And it just kind of became to the point where he said, you know what, I'm done. I gave you an offer for free signs for all the school zones and I am done. He rescinded his offer and told us at seven o'clock that actually he'd never heard of anyone from anyone from City Hall before this change was made. He has not heard from anyone since. We, of course, gone to the mayor's office to say, hey, um, do you want to talk about this? Because you said you supported it and... Jeff asked for an interview again, got told by the mayor's office that the mayor's schedule is very full today and the very very best he can do at this moment is offer a written statement, which is the same statement we got yesterday, guys, to say that he hasn't had an opportunity to review the dialogue from the committee meeting, but he's disappointed to learn that the donation has been withdrawn. It goes on to say the mayor has been supportive of accepting the donation and will discuss this matter with council colleagues and have more to say after Monday's EPC meeting I would ask, what's wrong with anyone having something to say today? Yeah. This man made this offer four years ago. Yep. He's been patient. He's persevered. He has not once, in my recollection, said anything negative beyond being disappointed in the delays along the way. He's now taken this offer back and says nobody from City Hall has communicated with him as to why there, there seems to be this constant wall he has to try to climb, this hurdle day after day. So... What's wrong with today? What's wrong with sorting this out today, Greg? Where is the, where is the impassioned position for something just once that I'm disappointed that this has been turned down? I am going to do everything I can to fix this and encourage Mr. Lewis to come back to the table. His community mindedness is critical right now. We want to engage with him. I will do everything I can to salvage this. I, I, I don't know what would be wrong with that. And you don't need to come on and talk to us. I mean, th- we'd love to hear what's going on. But don't you think you should, at the very least, somebody at City Hall, Public Works Department, shouldn't someone be phoning Chuck? Yes. <laughs> That's the answer. With yes. A, a thank you and an apology at the very least. Let's move on now because we have a guest patiently waiting. Our Gab with Gabby Gabrielle Marchand from Global News Morning, joining us now live on Friday, normally at 9.05, but today, uh, 9.40. Gab, Gabby, good morning to you. Good morning. I'm so glad I came on later because I got to see Greg's dance moves. And I feel like 
we have the same dance moves. He's just a little bit smoother about it. I was sort of watching him and trying to mirror my dance moves after his. What I does am, it look like? like it looks moves. better than Elaine on Seinfeld, oh, let me tell you that. Geez, I'm blushing now, but I have never. <laughs> smooth and Mackling on the dance floor. There are two Macklings very, very smooth on the dance floor. Two of my younger brothers are very smooth. Smooth and uh, Mackling on the dance floor. Typically not in the same sentence. So I bow to you. Thank you, guys. What I saw was just like butter, so keep it going. Well, what we saw in Global News Morning was nothing like butter. Uh, it looked quite gross. What was the deal with the snails? Yeah, so there's this Jordanian beauty salon. And, of course, the video is of an influencer because they're trying all the avant-garde things. <laughs> and she's getting snails put on her face. Of course. Because why not? Because 2020, internet oh everyone, yeah. all the attention. So, yeah, apparently this is a beauty treatment. And get this. She didn't really have a lot to say. Her commentary was that she felt her skin was maybe glowing more. I would want to see tangible results yeah. because they'll sit on your face for two hours. No way would I do this. Unless, you know, unless, I come, like, unless you're telling me if you put snails on my face, Loren, and you will look 15 years younger, and I do, that's like the guarantee I'm looking for. Take 15 years off your aging skin with the snail move, fine. Otherwise, take a hike. <laughs> I don't want glowing. I can glow by putting some butter on my face. <laughs> but but a slow hike because they're snails, so it'll take a while. <laughs> you know what, though? And Kayla and I had a very important question, my weather co-host. We said uh, they use these specific snails that are quite large that they're placing on your face. Like, could you do this with any snails? Like, could we go grab some ditch snails, throw them on our face? Yeah. What's a do ditch this at home? snail? It's a the little all the prairie snail that lives in a ditch. Oh, my goodness. Maybe you could get some of those newts that uh, are popular in southwestern Manitoba and plop those on your face. There See what you happens. Go. Wasn't Newt a character on the Hercules cartoon? Yep. Uh, Newt, Newton, right? Yeah. 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 Hey, Herc. Hey, Herc. Hey, Herc. Hey, it's Daedalus, Herc. Daedalus. <laughs> okay, Greg, there was something else that you saw that really grossed you out. Okay, so I, I do not all the laundry in my house. I would say it's a 50-50 split. And I'm pretty particular about my laundry. I only wear my underwear once. I only wear my socks once. And it goes in the laundry. I've tried to implement this with my kids. But now I'm realizing, thanks to you, Gabrielle, that my clothes that I thought were clean are not clean at all. What is laundry stripping? I love that that's the standard. I only wear my underwear once, everyone. <laughs> It's true. <laughs> what else that, would you like me to isn't say? Isn't that supposed to be how it goes? I thought that was the foundation for basic human life skills, but oh, I'm, I'm no. glad. There are lots of people who think you can get four days out no, of no, 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 no. Forwards, backwards, inside out, oh. forwards, and inside out, oh. backwards. Oh. Well, speaking of grossing everyone out, so laundry stripping is this trend. You take your laundry, you put it in a tub, because apparently there's all this buildup from, I'm sure, day-to-day -day wear, especially if you're wearing your underwear four times, but then from minerals and from laundry detergent, you put them in a tub with some kind of a mixture borax. Uh, I don't want to tell people what to put. I'd say Google it, because I don't want to be held responsible for this. Um, but you put your laundry in the tub, you let it soak, and then basically you take it out of the water and you're left behind with what looks like, speaking of ditches, murky ditch water in your bathtub, and probably feeling quite disturbed that those are your towels and your sheets because you think you're cleaning them, but you're actually 
way more dirty than you realize. Oh, boy. Okay. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess that's fair. Like, uh, I, you notice when you buy a T-shirt, nice and light when you first buy it, and then by the time you finally get rid of it, you're like, this is a lot heavier than it used to be. That's a good point, Brett. Yeah. yeah. Do you wash? Here's a question. Went shopping with the boys uh, last weekend to buy them some clothes. Do you always wash? I'll start with you, Brett. Do you always wash your clothes before you wear them for the first time? Yes. Loren? Um... Not always. It depends. It depends where they come from. Sometimes when you order things and if they've been shipped, they I feel like they have like the packaging smell or a shipping container smell or something's going on. So it, de- it honestly depends. But I, no, I kind of I kind of like the freshness of right off the rack. Gabby, I hate to say this. I always plan to. My mom instilled that in me. But then sometimes four in the morning, it's like I need an outfit. Yeah. I don't know where my clean clothes are. I'm grabbing it out of the bag. And then throughout the day, periodically, I'll think about everybody else who's probably tried it on. I'm like, Sally probably tried this on. Brenda over in Transcona probably tried this on. I mean, maybe it's bringing me closer to them, but I there are a few times where I'll shudder wearing my clothes because, I mean, it's kind of an icky thought. Why did you single out Brenda from Transcona? <laughs> Sally didn't, you didn't name Sally's area. Where's Sally oh, from? Well, because I like to go to the Regent Mall. Sorry, that wasn't a dig. I love Transcona more than anything, <laughs> but I go to the mall in Regent sometimes or, or used to more so before COVID. So that's why I thought of Brenda and Transcona. Brenda okay. and Transcona, I love you. No it hate. It sounded like a showdown, a throwdown. <laughs> no, can't slow down. I just got to, I, I like to bring out the old Transcona defender anger sometimes just to, for fun. Um, Sesame Street. What would be the coolest thing, Gabby, about living on Sesame Street? Oh, man. I know so we're just, many things. I, I know we're just ambushing you with that. I but. feel like there's no unhappiness there. I mean, I, I hope that my life would be like a musical. I sing to people regularly. Sing. I mean, just to clarify, they're not good songs. They don't have actual <laughs> lyrics. It's more just singing sentences annoyingly. But I feel like on Sesame Street, anything goes. Why would you guys want to live there? Well, you know, I think it's that whole idea. It's not all perfect, but when things are bad, there's an opportunity to talk it out. And yes, it's very idealistic in a certain sense, but also very realistic in terms of how we would like to be treated and treat one another. I think the messages in Sesame Street are timeless. They're ageless. And uh, I just can't uh, rave enough about that show, Brett. And... uh well, we've only got about a minute left here, so why don't we ask you if you could, if you could win a car, Gabrielle Marchand, any car on the planet, whether it's just something practical or maybe it's something from a TV show or a movie, you've got to have a car that you would like to drive. Any car, I think that I'd want to drive honestly an old Toyota SUV, one of the ones that looks like you're in Jurassic Park or you're a surfer, just for the cool factor. An old forerunner. You could take an the roof off. You can take the roof off. It's got the built-in roll bar. Oh, great pull! Only a couple hundred to fill up on gas these days. <laughs> <laughs> a cool hundo to get across town, but no yeah. big deal. You're looking good while you do it. I like that a lot. Gabrielle Marchand. It's our weekly Gab with Gabby. She's on Global News Morning 6 to 9, Monday to Fridays. Gabby, thank you so much for the visit as always. Thank you, guys. Happy Friday. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at 
Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on CJOB. Talk soon.